You're listening to Unfiltered with Matthew Barnaby. Barnaby is loving this. Huh. No filter. You have no filter. <laughs> that's yeah. obvious. That's true. That's you good. Thing. Say whatever comes into your mind. Yeah. You don't really modulate your yeah. feelings at all. Yeah. So it's a good thing for me, but it's a bad thing for water. So you, you uh, are com- you are completely naked under under your jock. Yes. Did you put any powder on there to? keep it from chafing or what it seems like so uncomfortable big Al. no i did like it i did like a new one every game now here's matthew barnaby hello everyone hope this pod finds you well i am very well third round of the playoffs is on i just got back from calgary another amazing event uh, raising money for Alzheimer's, I need to thank the two teams, not not only the team I played with this year, but the team I played with last year for uh, uniting and raising so much money for a great cause. Thank you to all the the people there that invite me back year after year, and uh, both teams. Uh, it just seems like Calgary is a place where there's a lot of degenerates. Thank you for, uh, I'm, I'm just barely, after about six steam showers at the gym and some saunas, uh, there's been a lot of, a lot of water drank uh, by Matthew Barnaby in the last few days. So it was uh, a fun time. Hockey was very good. Uh, The events were very good, uh, but most importantly raised a lot of money, over a million dollars for Alzheimer's research. So look forward to making that a mainstay. Home for a few days, uh, watch some hockey here and get caught up. And uh, then I'm off to Pittsburgh, off to Pittsburgh for four or five days, joining some former tough guys. And then some former Penguins, two different events for CBS, a poker tournament. So look forward to seeing my good friend Brad May there. Uh, I think PJ Stock is going to be there. Aaron Asham, who beat me up once, actually uh, broke my nose so bad that I had tears in my eyes. Um, Hits really hard, but look forward to seeing a lot of guys and playing a lot of poker. And hopefully the weather is a little bit better in Pittsburgh than it has been in eastern Ontario very very cold and rainy here uh, so we'll get to some playoffs today the third round has started uh, get to some PGA championship you know I love golf you know I love the gambling aspect uh, but nothing's better when Tiger Woods is the favorite going in uh, that's when we know the world is right when Tiger Woods we expect to be there wearing red on a Sunday it's Mother's Day, just passed. I'm actually taking my mom out tonight, and I'll uh, she'll be on Drambuie Island later on in the show. I'm going to be nice to her. We're not going to play Fuck, Kill, Mary because Mother's Day just passed, so today will be more of a sweet day. We'll get a story from her, and then I'm taking her out for a belated Mother's Day. Hopefully none of you idiots out there, and that's for the guys out there, forgot Mother's Day. For your mothers that are still alive and your wives and girlfriends that might be mothers along the way, you better have taken care of them. I saw something that there was, I believe it was $10 billion spent on Mother's Day, gifts, etc. I know it's a lot less probably on Father's Day, and we deserve it probably a lot less, but uh, hopefully everyone didn't forget. I'm sure a few of you idiots, I have certainly done that in the past, uh, did not this year. I was a Good, good boy. Let's start with the playoffs. Round three, we're, we're there. We're, we're really close to, to knowing soon who will be going to the Stanley Cup final and 
have a chance to parade around with that cup uh, in early June. Uh, Carolina, it looks like Cinderella might be turning uh, and that, that glass slipper might be coming off. Midnight looks like it's it's right around the corner for this team, and it pains me to say because they've been so fun to watch, and I love Rod Brindamore. I've reiterated that several times, not only here but on my radio show, Sirius XM NHL Network Channel ninety one, uh, four to six p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Everything NHL, but I, I've talked about Carolina and that team and the way that they've battled. Uh, certainly, it, it looks like it's catching up to them right now being in that playoff hunt for four months and really grinding every single day just to get into the playoffs, get through two rounds against a very good New York Islanders team and then a very good and defending Stanley Cup champion in Washington. So it's been exciting for them, down 2 nothing in the series, a lack of offense. Mrazek um, looks like he's come unraveled. You know, he's a battler. He's, he's not a guy that structurally is the best. But he battles, and it just looks like he is out of sorts. The team looks out of sorts. I don't see them beating Boston four out of five games. I, I, I just I, I just don't see it. They're a good team. They've been a great story. The injuries, the adversity that they've dealt with, just getting into the playoffs, but to be where they are is pretty incredible. But I, 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 think, I think Cinderella, it's midnight. Boston is very, very good. I'd rather credit Boston more than demean a Carolina team. The top line, power play. Rask is at its best, at his best, that I've ever seen him play in the National Hockey League. Logan Couture, we'll go to that series next. And Tuka Rask are my favorites right now if I had to pick Conn Smythe winners. Rask has been that good for this team. That does give up chances. They're very good on defense. They do give up chances. And he has just been there. Uh, predominantly slow starter like he was even at the start of this year but playing unbelievable hockey and a very very deep team the additions of Coyle and Johansson's cannot go understated on what they've meant to this team it's given them depth given them a lot of scoring and uh, credit Sweeney uh, for pulling those moves off because all we heard about was maybe acquiring a stone felt the price was way too high Probably the cap hit was way too high when we saw the extension that he got from the Vegas Golden Knights. But Boston went a different direction and added more through depth. And Coyle is certainly looking like the player that Minnesota thought when they drafted him. Has kind of underachieved there, but been very, very good for Boston in this run. I'm getting a lot of tweets about Brad Marchand and what a what a douche he is and can't believe he's doing this. Hey, he's doing exactly what he is paid to do. This is a guy that scored 100 points during the regular season. This is a guy that pisses you off and wants you coming after him. All of this is methodical. This this is all deliberate. He, he wants these guys coming after him. That's when he plays his best hockey. I'm not comparing myself to Brad Marchand, but I did piss people off. And I know, from my point of view, it was always, always calculated. So don't think that this guy doesn't think about it and just runs his mouth off and punches guys in the head without thinking exactly what he wants. He, this is how he gets into the game, and this is how he piss, pisses people off. He's doing his job. 
That, that's that's that, that's uh, at the end. That that's what he wants to do. He wants to be the focal point of the other team, and he does a great job of it. Whether you like him or hate him, I say you have to respect him. I know a lot of people will say, "Fuck you." He's an idiot. I get it. I get it. Maybe because I played a little bit of the same game on that side of it, and I understand what exactly he is trying to accomplish. So, you like him, you love him, you got a good one there. I know every team, every general manager, every coach would absolutely love to have Brad Marchand in their lineup. So, switching gears to San Jose, St. Louis. San Jose dominated game one. St. Louis really beat themselves, I felt. Too many giveaways. We're not, we're not very good in their own zone. Tarasenko was nowhere to be found. And San Jose really, really dominated that game. They, had, they got some good saves from Martin Jones, but they were clearly the better team. In game two, it was a reverse. Complete role reversals. When you look at how St. Louis really limited San Jose, except for Logan Couture, who is unbelievable. He, he is... He is right now the front runner. If 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 they move on and, and get to the Stanley Cup Finals, he is the front runner. Two goals, one shorthanded, uh, only second, only second by three goals to Alexander Ovechkin in this decade of goals scored in the playoffs. Pretty pretty remarkable. I think he flies under the radar so much. Former Ottawa 67 captain, and when Pavelski went down with his various injuries that he's had in this playoffs. The one constant from San Jose has been Logan Couture. 200-foot player, has come up with huge goals at opportune times. My con Smythe favorite by far right now is Logan Couture, but in Game 2, a much, much better effort from St. Louis. Bennington, now 9-2, after losing games. Nine and two. Pretty remarkable for a young kid to have that composure when you would think usually after a loss you might have a little bit of confidence issues. He certainly is not. He's played even better. Given that chance, the defense was much better, activating a lot, creating confusion for St. Louis. I need to ask one question in this this round. Last seven games as well. Where's Evander Kane? Where the fuck is Evander Kane? That's what he is paid to do. He was good earlier on in the playoffs, but they are going to need him to be much better. You can't just rely on Logan Couture and Timo Meyer to do all your scoring. You, you can't rely on just those two. You need depth. That third line, that Thornton line has got to start to create. Evander Kane has got to start scoring goals. To have one shot in game two after playing 19 minutes, not good enough. Not good enough. If San Jose is going to beat St. Louis, it's going to be a long series. Evander Kane is going to have to be much better than he is. You absolutely know I love golf. And so anytime there's a major on, there's there's usually a couple things I do. I either don't get off the couch, and I watch for 15 hours straight from pregame shows to obviously the Golf Channel. To, to watching all the coverage. Or I hit the bar with the boys and have Pops and watch it. Either way, I am watching 
every single shot at the Open this week. Or I should say the PGA Championship. I keep thinking it's the Open because PGA Championship is usually in July, and now we're in we're we're in May. Wingfoot, what a beast it's going to be for those golfers out there. It's going to be a beast. I've played it a few times when I when I lived in New York and played for the Rangers. We'd go up there, and and they took care of us very well. All all the courses are great there, but obviously the black is a bear. I was there in 2002 when Tiger won. It's long, it, it, tough greens, a lot of elevated greens, but so, some really tough sight lines. It, it's gonna it, a lot of rain there, almost two inches of rain in the last couple days. Uh, it's 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 it's. It, I love majors. I love golf in general, but when Tiger's involved, my favorite athlete of all time, if you see my memorabilia room, most of it is Tiger. Most of it is Tiger. A lot of Gretzky, a lot of Lemieux, guys that I played with, and besides that, then it's Tiger Woods. Anything Tiger, I love. I I think he's the best athlete of all time, and it's fun to watch a major after he just won his 15th major. And soon will pass Sam Snead for most wins of all time, considering the last five years have not been great for the man. Ever since he was caught banging, it seems like, every woman in America and attacked with a golf club and the surgeries that he's had with the back, the faulty knees, the torque that he put on his body from that absolutely powerful swing that he used to have, one of his best Swing probably in 04, that, that whole year, 02. Uh, just an amazing, amazing swing. I like a swing better now. More in control. His his wedge game has always been phenomenal. The shots he can pull off is different than anyone else. So anytime there's a major, uh, we're talking Tiger Woods, goes in as the favorite at Bethpage. The favorite. Who would have thunked that two years ago? No one. Watch for Tiger. Watch for last year's winner, Brooks Kepka, Dustin Johnson. This sets up very well from him. Hits the ball really, really far, really far. Tiger doesn't hit it as far as he used to. We're used to just blow it by guys and have a shorter club in. But his his irons are so good right now, as are Kepka and DJ. I mean, this is going to be phenomenal. But anytime we, we go into a major with the expectation that Tiger will be there, on Sunday, wearing that red with a chance to win makes it that much more fun. It was a former fourth overall pick from Dearborn, Michigan. Played for the Leafs, Capitals, Boston, San Jose. Nine or 799 games, I should say. 152 goals, 463 points, four-time All-Star. And for the longest time, with a wooden stick, had the highest recorded Slap shot, 105.2 miles an hour. I'm guessing you all can guess who my guest is today. Big Al. Big Al, I afraid How you doing? Great, Barney. Thanks for having me on. I'm hearing great things about your show. It, it, it's been fun. All is well in Detroit. I'm glad. I'm glad I, you, you recovered. I, I was in Calgary all week, and you were in um, Newfoundland. Did you get screeched? <laughs> no, I don't think anyone... I don't think any hockey players go to Newfoundland to sleep. <laughs> no, did 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 you get screeched while you were there? Oh, yeah, um, I've been screeched. Um, geez, 
probably 10 times in my life. Dude, I is the old talk long there, big jib draw. I know this thing by heart. It, it, which, means, <laughs> which means, how are you, how are you, my old friend? Near the windows, be at your service. Explain explain everything you have to do when you are screeched. I was screeched in once. I've only been to Newfoundland once. It's the craziest party town. We do these events, and a lot of time there's like 10, 15 people that want to go for beers after uh, for some cocktails. Uh, that place is, is fucking off the charts. And when I walked out of there, there was like 300 people following us uh, to the bars, and the bars are small there, except for the one street, George Street. But explain to everyone what getting screeched in is. Uh, getting screeched in is um, it's a tradition, and basically they at least have one salty seaman that's uh, that's going to do the screeching in, and there's you know a whole bunch of people. I was there when you got screeched in, and they they had you go through kind of the native tongue of uh, Newfoundland. And if, you've been, if you haven't been there in the first time there, sometimes. You know, the words are abbreviated and run into each other, and the more you're there, the easier it is to understand. So what you have to do is you have to recite the string I just said, and then you kiss a card. That's always pretty fun. And uh, you have to do a shot of this, uh, I want to say it's Jamaican rum, but they think it's good. It's fucking nasty. But... You know, watching everyone try and recite the verses and then how, you know, the different people, you know, some people dry hump the cod, some people clench it. My first time I bit his eyeball out and spit it into the crowd. <laughs> uh, of course you did. <laughs> but, but, uh, I had a pretty good eat kiss with the uh, cod when I watched you do it. So it was, uh, pretty, it's, it's pretty cool. It's like, uh, I think that's the best kept secret in North America, Newfoundland. Just people that haven't been there have got to go there. It's the people. It's the way I explain it is uh, you could be walking down the road in the middle of nowhere and stop the cut and ask them for a ride. And the person would might say, but it's not asking for a ride, asking for a place to sleep and a ride. And the person would say, well, I've got five kids. I don't have any bedrooms, but I'll take you to my brother's house and you can spend the night with us. That's kind of how friendly the people are. Uh, you can probably you know, definitely agree with that. It, it really is. It's it's the nicest people you'll ever meet. They love to fucking drink. It's crazy. Like, beyond any spot I've ever been to, except for Ireland and Scotland, they're, they're probably equal to the task. Um, that was definitely a place that, you know, was so different than anywhere I've, I've, I've ever been. Uh, I, something else that I'm sure has changed a lot when you look at the game today from when you came into the league and uh, just how much the game has played. And just take me through like your first training camp uh, after getting drafted to the Toronto Maple Leafs, uh, what it was like back then. And what was what was Big Al's training in the summer as opposed to what these kids do. I know mine's certainly different from going from chicken wings after I ate with a few beers uh, to what my son, your son, and what uh, what the kids do now. Um, you know, the, the training, you know, I would, I would you know, ride a bike, stationary bike. I did sprints on the bike, you know, 45-second sprint, minute 15, cruising. I would do that for an hour. I would do, um, I'd probably do like a hundred, 
push-ups when I stood up. And then maybe two days a week, I would do 10 100-meter sprints. And then as I got, that was probably for a month. And then as I got closer to camp, I would alternate and I'd sprint for a day. And then I would do, like, I would say maybe seven weeks. I would start, usually after the 4th of July. You know, so I was done with all the summer festivities. It's not working out and just uh, relaxing, letting my body heal. Um, I would start training for the season. And, you know, just being in the league then, it was, I think it was a lot different in that I don't think guys were, I don't think, I think when I got drafted, I was one of the first Americans in the league. Um, there was certain everybody knew it from 30 or 40 of us. I got drafted, and basically you were coming there, and you were taking a buddy's job. You know, you, you, know, you were the high first, I was a high first-round pick, and I was going to take the job. So I wasn't really, everyone wasn't not willing to take selfies with me, and all happy to see me. <laughs> they were like, it's clowns here to take, so, you know, buddy's yeah. job with their buddies. And, uh, you know, basically you had to prove yourself you know, in a physical way. Because I was a big guy, and uh, I was an offensive defenseman. Um, but when he was 6'3", 230 pounds, you know, and someone challenges you to fight, they wanted you to fight. And I think me personally, I drove Coach crazy because I was a big guy. I didn't go looking for fights. I'd fight, you know, in the kind of roles that I should, or if someone did something to my teammate or to me, and I thought it was out of line. You know, I'd fight then, but that really wasn't my role. But in training camp, when you first come to the pro camp in 1984, you were fighting whether you wanted to or not. And you were getting challenged by guys on other teams, and if guys on other teams challenged you to fight and you didn't fight, the next thing in practice, the guys on your team were all over you because they were like, looking at you like, this guy is not part of the whole stack. You know, is he going to be there for me? Um, and that was a uh, that's the way hockey was then, and I think it still is a certain point, but I don't think uh, I don't think it's much so then. And uh, it's a part of the game that uh, it's always open for debate on whether the fighting is good bad. You know, fans love it. There's no doubt about it, and I think inherently the sport it's a physical sport, and you know, at every age there is you know, you're going to have to defend yourself or you're going to have to pick up your teammates and it's the right thing to do. Um, you know, so my rookie year, you know, I had to prove myself and, you know, I, I did beat up and I did good in a fight, but at the end of the day, I think the biggest step was, you know, because I, I, I kind of had a, a hockey career where I was always a pretty dominant player. <clears throat> you know, the fear of, the fear of not knowing is really horrible in any scenario in life. And once you get into a fight and you get to the fight where you get beat up or you win, you're like, wow, that wasn't that bad. And you realize it's not that bad. And then in your mind, you realize it's sort of, you know, the inner work of the thing. 
How was it going to Toronto? I mean, being an American, you talked about it. There weren't many Americans. We actually called the Americans pussies at that time. And it's so weird because my my son grew up American and, and I've been in the States. And it was just our idea because we thought in Canada, we're God. We we, we own hockey and we've, we've seen how that has evolved and how that's changed in our, our perception. But how was it going to Toronto at that time? A totally different era. Uh, but obviously the mecca of hockey when we look at just being in a fishbowl, uh, but playing for that ownership at that time? Um, I think if, you know, I believe if in your mind, like I was I was kind of like a, a child in a man's body, you know, mentally. <clears throat> I, I didn't uh, understand that, you know what, this is the greatest thing any professional athlete could ask for to be a pro hockey player on the Toronto Maple. You know, whether they were great or not, they had my cups in 67. All the, all, the, all the mantra that comes with it. Now, as I got older, I realized that, that you know, I come from Detroit where they call it, it's called hockey town. But when you go to Toronto, you're a hockey player. There's, there's nothing like it. And if you learn mentally how to, how to look at it, you know, they say if you want to change the way something looks, change the way you're looking at it. Looking at it, that holds true with that because when a young guy or anyone that plays in Toronto can look at it in a scenario that, you know, this is the hockey record of the world, as you said. This is unbelievable, and this is a great thing, and I should embrace this and take advantage of it every single way I can because, you know, there's a lot of things now that I wish I would have realized when I was young. And, you know, there's a lot of things I get to do now simply because, you know, I was in Ulster a few times as a Toronto Maple. And, you know, people remember that, so there's a lot of opportunity because of that. Um, but when you're young, when I was young, it was, it was hard because, you know, the pressure, um, you know, of pro sports. I basically went from midget hockey went to a tryout for the Olympic team, tried out for the Olympic team in the region here, made that cut, went to the sports festival, and then boom, got announced to be on the Olympic team, traveled around the world with Team USA, played six games in Belleville after the Olympics for 10 games, six regular season, four, or six four games, and got drafted in the NHL and you know, in one year out of major hockey, I was playing in that show. Obviously, it was a lot to learn. How was that Olympic experience? Because we, we remember 1980 and just probably the greatest sports moment in not only U.S. history, but I, I'd say in Olympic history from a team point of view. I don't know if anything like that could ever be duplicated, certainly not in hockey when we don't have pros going uh, some years and then we have all the pros go so it's it's totally different but how was that Olympic experience for you? Well it was great um, you know you're, you're I dropped out of high school and I'm traveling around the world and I'm getting to play in the Olympics and you know that was when you know the Russians were the team and they were there for payback to you know show the world that they were dominant hockey hockey nation in the world and uh, you know played in the Olympics we lost to Canada and uh, we lost to Canada in the game we needed to win 
uh, make the money around. We all know the number of the experience and just looking back, it's, uh, I remember I was during the Cold War, um, and it, it's not like the Olympic coaches, it's not like the way you get to see on TV now and all the guys they played with or, and their kids were playing in the Olympics and um, the wonderful festive thing. I mean, there was, you know, we had credentials, they said, try not to leave the Olympic Village. You know, unless it's to an event or, you know, one of our games, there's fences around the whole Olympic village, armed guards with dogs running around on the outskirts on the perimeter of the fence. So it was totally different than, you know, the 24 7 sports coverage where you get to see all the all the athletes just having the time of their life. You know, I did have time in my life, but in a different way. Like whether you're a Canadian, American, Russian, whatever country you want to say, there's nothing like uh, you know listening to the national anthem and representing your country. You know that open, during those opening ceremonies, and you get to come out there. You know it's uh, a lot of hard work that has come to fruition. That's it's a proud moment for sure representing the country. Was the Olympic Village the exact same it was now? I know they give up like 100,000 condoms. Was there as much fucking going on with all the athletes back then? Because I know now guys that go, they go, it's fucking off the charts. Like after everyone's done their event, it's like just everyone's banging each other. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if that was going on. I was 17 and I was like, <laughs> uh, my parents were there and we go to dinner with them and stuff like that. So, um, that was the part of the that was the part of the Olympics that I'm sure was going on, but it wasn't going on without you know in my little world because I was I was just trying to sleep at night because so <laughs> the time change the time change and being young and worrying about whether I was going to play or not or, yeah you know it was a little different for me and I actually I couldn't believe I was there and I was I wish I would have been a little older to be honest with you in my mind you know because I was. I think I was more surprised that, wow, this is really happening. And um, couldn't really believe I was there. So in my mind, I guess, I wish I would have been a little, a little bit older and got to do it. it. It had to be a whirlwind then. And, and then, again, you get traded. Your Anytime you get traded your first time, it's different than going anywhere. You're kind of immune, I, I feel, sometimes after that. You get traded to Washington 1990, 91, uh, 91, 92, 92, 93. You have... Really good years, 51 points with 17 goals in 91-92 with 180 penalty minutes for a defenseman. And then the next year, uh, you have 25 goals, 66 points with 169 penalty minutes. How was that transition uh, to Washington, the differences in some of the teammates you love playing with there, and maybe a couple stories from those guys? Um, in Washington, it was when I got traded to Washington, you know, I was, uh, my time had kind of run its course in Toronto, and I think both teams were looking for some, you know, some an injection into their lineup. Because both teams were out of the class. They got traded. They got traded, uh, I think it was, in, it was in January. It was kind of interesting because they get traded, and I land. 
I land in Minnesota to meet the team, and it's like mass hysteria. It was, I was in the air when they announced that Desert Storm was happening. So when wow. I landed, I get off the plane, and everyone's like, oh, my God, we're in a war, we're in a war. And I'm like, what's going on here? And then, you know, Jerry Murray and Mr. Button explained to me what was going on. So it was kind of it was kind of weird. I was like, wow, what a day to get traded, the day that uh, they announced to the world that we're, you know, engaging in Operation Desert Storm in the U.S. was in there. So it was interesting <laughs> a flight to Minnesota, and I get traded to Minnesota. And I get traded to uh, when I get traded to Washington. It was just a, uh, it was one extreme to the other because Toronto was the, uh, you know, fishbowl of hockey in a good way, and I get to Washington, and we've got a history of having really good teams, and uh, there's no one even knows who you are. Like they're. The four years that I was there, I think they won three Super Bowls. Uh, the Redskins, that was, that was when they had the Hogs. And uh, they were winning all the Super Bowls with Joe Gibbs and Feisman. And, uh, it was it was unbelievable in the sense that the team was one of the best teams in the league. And there was like one media guy. Would, you know, when you go to places, the, the coverage was the total opposite. And meanwhile, you're winning game after game after game after game after game and, you know, basically already in the playoffs by the end of January trying to fight for winning the Cleveland's trophy. So it was basically one extreme to the other. Crazy. Ended up working out, ended up working out great for both teams because uh, both teams, I think, at the trade were not in the playoffs spot and I believe both teams, maybe Toronto didn't that make the playoffs. Washington really, really missed the playoffs, but um, I know each year after that, Toronto got better and better, and obviously Washington they got better and better, but there was a team called Pittsburgh that was okay. <laughs> we couldn't, we couldn't uh, beat. I look back in my career and I'm like, man, I'm like that's the, that's the team. We had Pittsburgh down three games to one. That was like my third. Game seven, we had them down three games to one, um, and they won- they ended up beating us and we won the cup. And I look back and I'm like, man, that was my chance to win the cup. And then I look and I think about it and I look at their lineup. There's Lemieux, Yager, Stevens, Francis, Mullen, Samstrom, Trachet, Wow, Coffey, Murphy, Straka, Recky, Pocket. I'm like. How in the fuck did we have those guys? It's <laughs> 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 like, I don't know, 10 Hall of Famers on that team. Oh, Shel Sanderson, Al Sanderson. The list just goes on and on. It's unreal. And I'm like, well, I guess the better team does win. <laughs> right? is, that, is that the year they beat Minnesota in the final? Yeah, yeah. That was the year they beat Minnesota in the final. For Mario, Mario put the move on. Uh, Tenority. Or no, Sean Chambers. No, I think it was Bundy. It was Chambers. Yeah, yeah it he was... started falling at the blue line and then hit the end boards. <laughs> I, 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 yeah, I, I actually remember being at my billets in Quebec City. I can remember when watching that goal. That's how amazing a goal it was. But yeah, it dangled him. Then, I mean, it's on every highlight now. He goes to his backhand, tucks it in. 
Um, uh, un- unbelievable goal. You played with uh, Dale Hunter, uh, Kevin Hatch, who I ended up playing with in Pittsburgh, was an awesome guy. Uh, any stories from that team that stick out from you back in the day? Dale Hunter is a guy that I kind of patterned my game after, obviously not as good, but he was a guy that I watched and really emulated and loved uh, his compete, but also how he could play offensively. My other guy was Matt Snazlin. I had nothing in common with him except for I love the Montreal Canadiens. So any stories from those teams? I'm sure uh, those guys, there there was a plenty, and you guys had a lot of fun. Yeah, I think one of the one of the uh, one of the first games, I was I was like in a tough place in my life when I got traded to Washington. I'm one of my first games. That that was in the day where you could play a game at eight o'clock on Saturday, and then Sunday, if you were playing in Chicago, you'd be playing at noon. So, you know what I mean. So you would take the charter, go to Chicago. I mean, I got a story about me. I just remember it was one of my first games in Washington. And um, I think a lot of times they had a lot of uh, rooms in the hotel on the same floor, the awesome Drake Hotel in uh, downtown Chicago. We play a game, playing to Chicago. We have an afternoon game the next day. And uh, I was out the night before, and it's like 6.30 or 7 in the morning. because was right away from the plane to the hotel before the hotel door closed, I was back out. And I was out having a good time. And I was really hungry. And uh, there was a bunch of guys that obviously had had room service. And uh, it's early in the morning. And I'm on the, I'm on the floor in the, in the hallway, just scouring through guys' leftover <laughs> room service, like a honey badger. Out comes two doors open, and here comes Terry Murray and David Foyle walking down the hall, seeing the guy they just traded for eating food on his hands and knees. <laughs> Fucking <laughs> scavenger. Like oh, my God. They're like, this guy is a dreg of society. What did we just trade for him? <laughs> well, Brad May, I had him on a few weeks ago. We were together in Toronto with, with you. Um, we told the story. We got caught after curfew uh, in the hotel bar in that one called the cock door. And we walked out, uh, same idea. We were trying to go out, uh, but we got caught. And then I told about the Drake as well, where I shit my pants, uh, in the middle of, of, uh, the Drake <laughs> and, uh, didn't have a room key. So the Drake has been, been a tough one for, it seems like all of us. I, I, I never knew this story. Um, but I've heard the story in Dallas. Were you ever naked? Um, lighting up a dart with uh, uh, a torch that we used to use to fix our sticks while you were taping your sticks and got caught. Is that true or is that fiction? Uh, it's, it's true. I was, I was, <laughs> I was, I never wore, I didn't wear uh, performance wear. I wore a jock, suspenders, socks, so no, you you uh, were com- you were completely naked under under your jock. Yes. Did you put any powder on there to keep it from chafing or what? That seems like so uncomfortable, Big Al. No, I get like a I get like a new one every game, for as often as I could. But I was I was, it was in between periods in the playoffs, and I was uh, I was. 
there was like this little hallway of the door because I smoked. And uh, it was in between periods when I was having a diet. And uh, there was a, a young, you know, I guess, um, usher. You know, and she's like, I was sitting there, you know, pants off, socks rolled down, shin pads out. Gates loosened up, no shirt. I kind of took all my equipment off in between periods, and I was just sitting there having a dart. And the, the girl was sitting there looking at me, like, what is with this guy? And I, and I, I kind of walk around. I walk in circles, think about, you know, what I was going to what I was going to do for the next period. I had a cigarette. That's well, true. So it was okay that you were naked. It was just the smoking part, but you were fine to be naked in front of anyone out there. Yeah, kind of. I mean, I didn't like run into the door or anything. I figured that they would, I didn't run into the locker room. It was, I was showing respect for my teammates. They didn't smoke. So yeah. How many, how many, how many guys smoked on your team back then? Cause I, I played with a lot of guys and Denny Savard along the way. And, um, it was, it was prevalent. The guys would smoke in, in the shower after games when I, first came in the league, even even up to almost the end. You know, I played with Sergei Zuboff and Darius Kasparaitis. They would smoke and drink beer. We'd have beers in the in, in, in the shower after every game. And that changed in my last couple of years. But how many how many guys would smoke and how 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 many cigarettes would you have during a day? Because I can't imagine playing smoking in uh and 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 being able to do it. Yeah, I was I mean, I'd say In Toronto, there was a few guys who smoked. Um, Billy D, Squid. Um, that I remember right away. Then there'd be guys that, you know, when you were out with the boys partying, would have a sick then. But like a hardcore smoker. Um, in Washington, there was nobody. It was, it was just me. So I was like the. You know, the only guy that smoked there. And, you know, after the... I was I was a female. I was, it's embarrassing. But I smoked three packs of cigarettes a day. So... Are you fucking serious? Yeah, I swear to God. Wow. I would wake up in the... I would make... I'd wake up in the morning, like, with the shakes. And I'd have to go... I'd, I'd have to go... You know, and then I figured it out. And I was like... Man, I smoke a cigarette every eight minutes on an average. <laughs> that's like crazy. That's crazy. Yeah, I can't. I can't imagine. I, I can't imagine how. And you, but the, the one thing you were, you were an effortless skater. So I don't even think it was going to affect there because you were so effortless. When I, when I think of that, I watch you in the alumni games now. You're and you're 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 a big guy that can skate like that. How? Nice would it have been to play in an era like now where they can't hold you up and you can really essentially freewheel at your size and your skating ability? I think it would have been, well, that would, it would be nice. But it probably would have been even nicer if I were to listen to all of my coaches. <laughs> it would have been nice to maybe skate even a little better uh, while I was playing. I look back and I'm like, wow. You know, it's, uh, 
but then I, you know, I, I haven't smoked in nine years. I quit nine years or eight years ago. So the one I uh, go ahead in today's game with the skating though, it was. Uh, I'd have to say it's a lot more, you know, a lot more conducive to my style of play than say the era I played in. Where, a lot more clutching, grabbing, hitting, and fighting. Um, you know, now the it's, hockey's always been a skating game, but it's always it's even more you know more prevalent now. Where the skating is uh, is just awesome. You know, how, how fast the game is. I like that part of the game. Al, the one thing when you look at your your stats that sticks out. Uh, first of all, I want to know how many. Empty neck goals, because I know you, you think pussies, they're, they're for pussies, empty neck goals. How many out of the 152 were empty netters, by the way? <laughs> That's funny. That's funny that you say that. It's uh, like 150, I, I don't know, I guess it's a, for defense, I guess it's a good amount of steam, 150 goals. It, was, it happened like, I got my 150th goal, like, I don't know, a week after my quote of, you know, how lame empty net goals are. I, uh, we were playing in San Jose right when they came to the league first year or two. And, uh, the behind the net is like 15 seconds. I'm behind the net. There's like 15 seconds left. And I'm like, I'm like, Hunts is going to win this face off. <laughs> if I ice it, no worries. Or no, we were shorthanded. Sorry, so I could ice it. I hammer the puck around the glass hard as I can. It's a stanchion, goes right into the middle of their empty net. My 150th career goal is an empty netter. The guy who has the quote that empty netter is you know, not good. That's awesome. <laughs> so one. One. One so, empty netter. So one. All right. Duly noted. I'm writing that down. I'm going to use that in when I do uh, with some of our hot stoves, I'm going to bring that up now. So I just just found that out. Someone had asked me about it, and I said, I'm going to get to the bottom of it. Then I saw the quote, and I, I, I thought it was one or two, but it's one. One out of the 152. Not bad. Uh, the, one, the one thing in looking at your stats, uh, Al, that sticks out, you, you only played 12 games in Boston, five goals, 13 points, pretty, pretty darn impressive. Um, what what happened there? Is that when injuries took its toll? And how many? I know you had a lot of knee surgeries. Uh, how many knee surgeries did you have? Uh, I ended up with nine. Wow. Um, nine knee surgeries. I you know that was definitely where you know because my career seven hundred ninety nine games seven hundred of them were probably in the first ten or eleven years, and then the last. Three or four years, I couldn't stay healthy. Now that's that's the beginning of when it all started. Was uh, Austin? I got there. You know, he had a good team. I was like a first-time player. Got there, you know, putting up numbers. You know, playing a good physical game, the doing hockey. Um, you know, beat beat. Uh, I hurt my knee right at the end of the year, and then I played on my knee. It was. It was kind of scary because I played on that. I, I hurt my knee, but I kept playing. And I we beat Montreal in the first round in seven games. And then we went to Jersey and had a start to series there and won the first two games, but ended up losing to them in six or seven games. And uh, 
my you know, I finished the season, I played all the games, and then I went to have surgery from Dr. Clancy down in Birmingham, Alabama, the house I was for him and Jim Andrews. You know, they, they do a lot of surgeries on pro athletes now and then. And he's like, well, you got a pretty significant injury here. He's like, you may never play again. I'm like, what? And I was like, what? He's like, yeah, you have a reason the size, you know, a silver dollar, you know, in your trochlea, which is the end of your femur. You know, basically, um, I can try and explain where the end of your femur looks is the rubbery stuff like on the end of a chicken bone. That's your cartilage. And your kneecap rides in a like in a little groove of that articular cartilage, and there's articular cartilage on the underside of your kneecap. And mine had worn through just from playing on all the different, you know, HGL reconstructions and all that stuff. The swelling in your knee that your kneecap doesn't quite track properly, and it just basically a hole through that surface and then through that surface is the bone and the nerve endings so basically every time you bend your knee it feels like someone's stabbing you right in your kneecap and uh they're like well we're just gonna we can go in there and just kind of deep bleed it with like a an instrument that'll just grind it up and let it bleed you know and then that blood turns into a scab that isn't as good as the stuff that the balloon like that helps you know cover the nerve endings. And I had the surgery and well I was just getting back from that and just because I I was trying to plan and use it, it was a really hard to plan because it, it was a lot longer and not as strong as the other one. It'd be like a you know a race car I'm not saying I'm a race car, but someone was trying to skate fast with one meter yeah. And then the other one that is perfect, I blew my back out. Fuck so me. Then I have to have, you know, back surgery. And then it was uh, just from that point on, it was just it built from back to me to back to me to back to me. And, you know, after not being able to get healthy, eventually they take your, they take your stuff away from you. Yeah. <laughs> right. It, it, it's a, it's amazing the technology because I remember when I first came in the league, a couple guys had ACL surgery. It was 16 months. Now guys are recovering in four or five months, just the technology, what you could have had if you played in a different era. One thing I'm sure that you get asked about, and this will never get old because it's pretty awesome. Now that I get to do events with you after, um, I still know you can absolutely bring it when you want and scare the shit out of firemen and accountants that we get to play against and laugh. Um, but 105 mile an hour, 105.2 in Montreal at the All-Star Game. How much do you get asked about that? How fun was that? Uh, I just watched video and the Pat LaFontaines that were there in that game, a plethora of All-Stars that became Hall of Famers. Uh, just in amazement. How, how much do you get asked about it and how fun was that event? Oh, the event was awesome. Uh, you know, obviously when you're when you're an athlete and you you know you get asked to play in an offset game, it's a it's a great honor. Not saying it's fun. Not saying that it's really fun being a defenseman in an offset game because everyone's trying to win the cut. Um, for a goal, it'd be nightmares to get going in an offset game, but. Um, it's awesome because, you know, your hard work is paid off, but 
just meeting all the guys that you, know, you play against that are great players and you know, know them as a person and then you get to meet them and hang out with them and, you know, party with them. It's, uh, it's an awesome, like a reward, you know, it's like kind of like a break in the middle of the year where you can play some hockey, have some fun with guys that you play against and you're always, you know, trying to defend or they're coming at you, trying to hurt you, you know, play a check-in or whatever. Then you all get to hang out together for the weekend. It's an awesome experience. But the shot is, uh, everyone always asks me, they're like, how would you shoot? How hard would you shoot now? And my, my, uh, my standard response is like, what's the record? They're like, 108.8. And I'm like, probably 109 or 10. <laughs> I always tell them, they always ask me, that. I was like, probably a mile when I was asking the record is now. But, uh, you know, that's the one thing everyone always asks me about is my shot. Yeah. That's the, it's funny because I, I think I was more proud of my skating because that was something I really worked on. My shot was always, when I was little, I mean, I worked on it like every other kid does. I shoot the pucks up against the garage door, up against the fence, into the net, into the snowbank, shoot pucks all day, you know, until the lights come on. I was that kid too, but my shot was just, Always, because I had a coach when I was young. He never let us take slap shots. So he was like, your slap shot, he's like, guys that have great slap shots have great snap shots and great wrist shots. So you're shooting wrist shots from the blue line until until I say so. So my coach when I was like 8, 9, 10, never let us take slap shots. And back then, you could take slap shots in the world, but he would never let us. So we were always taking wrist shots and snap shots. So I think that kind of helped develop my, uh, you know, my my hand strength, my wrist strength, yeah. and you know, my uh, my movement. And I worked hard at skating. I worked harder at skating than I did at shooting, for sure. So my thing was, I was always proud that I was like the biggest guy at the All Star game. That I was always in the fastest skater, and I was always up near the top. That was like what I was proud of. But everyone's like, "You're fast." They're like, "Really?" <laughs> kind of funny because uh that's the thing that uh i wish people would ask me about. And, and and you have the a shot yeah the shot was natural the the shot was natural and what i always marveled at and i still marvel at we're older now but we obviously play and you still have a lot of the same traits of of when you played it, it's your glide for a big guy a lot of big guys just don't have the glide. Even if they can skate well, they don't have the glide. You have the glide. You always had a glide that kept moving even when your legs weren't moving. Yeah, I mean, that was where, you know, I took, uh, we had power skating here. Ray DeGrendel, he's the guy. When I was a kid, you know, he was a, he was a guy who taught a lot of us young guys that are from Detroit that played in the NHL, you know, from that era, like the Hatchers and, um, LaFontaine, and he was like a prevalent coach back then. And he, he was one of the first guys I remember, um, doing plyometrics and leaping and bounding and off ice conditioning. I mean, I was doing that, I guess it was in 1978, 77, and I was like 10, 11, 12, 12 years wow. old. He was, uh, he was like a black belt. He was a black belt in, karate and he was like a fitness guy a tough guy and uh we'd do off ice and he was he was like this, this is what they do in russia and we'd be doing you know squat jumps um wall flips one-legged wall flips you know duck walking he was like a he was a guy that was 
ahead of its time, like a pioneer for off-life conditioning. And then as I got older, you know, I'd have knee, knee reconstruction, knee surgery, or back surgery, you know, or coming back from a torn hamstring, and I would be like, wow, this is a lot of the same stuff I was doing 30 years ago, you know what I mean, 20 years ago. Yeah. Um, a lot of it is a lot of it is basic, but it's all body weight stuff that is important, you know. And then if you if you look at it, if you look at it, it's a lot of core stuff. So it's uh, it was like the ahead of his time. So that was where I think I got. And he he would always have a power skating school in the summer, and I would always go to the power skating school. And you have the conditioning camp before his tryouts. So you would like go to his conditioning camps to like try and catch his eye, you know, before the tryouts even started. And back then there were tryouts. It wasn't you know, it wasn't how the teams are picked <laughs> in before. November. And I'm sure there was some <laughs> Yeah, I'm sure there was some of that going on, but you know, it was a lot different where a trial was a trial. For sure. A couple fun ones before I let you go, and you're so gracious with your time. I've only got to know you after we were done playing. I love doing events. You're one of my favorite guys to hang out with when we get to see each other. You are so gracious to not only the people involved, the, the hockey players, but all the people that we get to meet along the way. I always watch, and Brad May is the same way. Just uh, tremendous people. A couple fun ones. Uh, hair mousse or gel when you played, and when did you decide to cut the party in the back, the business in the front? Oh yeah, that was a, a skullet. That's what the, that's what it's called. And I think people. I, I don't know why, but I think a lot of people were scared to make fun of my hair. They they kind of did it behind my back. No one ever did it to my face. <laughs> but I would uh, I would kind of mousse the sides, and I'd let the back flow. So I kind of had a mullet, you know, comb the back. And I'd never bend my head down to look because I didn't want to see the balls. <laughs> like kind of. I was kind of trying to trick myself. I didn't really know how bald I was, but I did keep hair mousse on the sides because I kind of had curly hair, as you could tell by my floor off the back of <laughs> But I would try to keep it all in place with some, with, it wasn't mousse, it was more of a gel that we trying to keep it hard because I wanted to try and cover up as much of the bald spot as I could. I love it. I love and, uh, it. <laughs> <laughs> I shaved my head. After I had um, my seventh knee surgery, it was in Boston. And that's when I shaved my head. It was like, it was like, some, I don't know. I think I was, I don't know. I think I was, I think I, I, I shaved my head because of my knee. I was like, how can my knee be fucked up again? Like, this is unbelievable. And then I swear to God, I thought, then I started reading, and, you know, that was like the beginning, the infancy of the Internet. I started reading on the Internet that you can get Lyme disease from a chick. And I lived in Boston, and I was always out in the woods. You know, I'd be out in the woods with my dog, and I'm like, my knees fucked up. Cause I'm like, there's no, I didn't get hit hard. I didn't, you know, I didn't, I mean, I got hit hard, but, like, when you, when you buckle your knee, you know it's blown out. Yeah. You really blow it out. I'm like. How can my knee this be, be this bad without a major hit like all the other times before? Where, you know, 
the guy swallows on me, or a guy takes your knee out, or all the other way, all the other times I got hurt where it was twisted. You know, got caught in a rut one time, and I was like, "How can my knee be this bad?" And then I was like, "I had, I have to have had a kick." I'm like, "Fuck it, I'm shaving my hair." <laughs> I thought I, I thought that I had Lyme disease. And I started reading about it. I'm like, when you have a tick, it causes like chronic fatigue, um, joint degeneration, all kinds of stuff. So I was like, I don't know. I was just like freaked out. So I shaved my head because I thought I might have had a tick. And then I shaved my head and it was just, there was no tick. Th- th- thanks, th- thank God you were fearful of the tick because I love the hair. I love the way it looks now. It looks great. Funny story on a tick. I, I was playing golf. Now that the-, the golf this weekend is going to be the PGA in New York, I was playing in New York with a bunch of buddies. And they're, they're just guys. One's a pharmacist. One guy's a doctor, whatever. But they were just guys. And, and the pro was kind of enamored-, enamored with me because I played for the Rangers. So I- we'd hit balls and they'd help me find my ball. And... <laughs> We're going up the fairway. Two of my buddies hit their, their ball directly left. And the guy was like, oh, there, there could be ticks in there. There are, there are ticks on this course. And we just kept on walking up the fairway. My buddy looks at me like, they're, they're looking for their ball for 20 minutes. We don't help them one bit. Not one bit. Because you don't want to go in there. We, he literally fucking, my, my buddies were fucking pissed off at me for the next four hours just because we wouldn't go help them because we were afraid of ticks and, and their ball was saying, I'm not fucking getting ticks for your fucking ball. Like, it just doesn't make sense. So, yeah, we almost had a battle on a golf course because of the same thing. But I love the hair. I love the way it looks now. Let's not go back to the skullet at, at, at any point. Uh, tell me the Mike Medano check story. I know it's a quick one, but uh, what happened there? He was chirping you from the bench, and you gave it back to my buddy Mo. The Mike Medano what story? Did he did he did he say you were a little lazy and you told him to fuck off and maybe uh, take a check at some point? Maybe not. Uh, <laughs> I, I was told that by by someone from Dallas. I might have said that. I think like he was saying he was calling me lazy, and I'm like, like I remember saying to him, I'm like, fuck you, as long as guys like you in this fucking league, I'll be able to play when I can't even walk anymore. It's more than that. I love it. Mo, Mo, <laughs> Mo's an awesome guy. Two Americans battling early on. Like, come on. You guys are two Americans. You guys are supposed to stand together. <laughs> well, you kind of hurt my feelings telling me lazy. <laughs> true, true. See, we're normal, right? We always react and try to dig a little deeper and stab a little deeper. Last one before we let you go, uh, Alan. I thank you so much. Best joker on the road. A guy that loved to play jokes and uh, Brad May for me was was really good. Bob Bugner, uh, Mark Bergevin was the funniest guy I ever played with. But was there a guy or a joke on the road that uh, that was either a, a, a little above board, a little too far, or uh, one guy that used to always pull them? Uh, Dale Hunter was a great jokester. Dale was always. Uh, he got me my my rookie, or he got me like within a week of when I got traded there. He did. Uh, I got traded there, and I bought a brand new. It was a. It was a uh, SS, I don't know if you remember the SS four fifty four pickup they had in the first thing I was. EMC SS four fifty four pickup, and uh, they were limited edition. And I bought the truck and used to 
seems to practice out of practice is, is uh, took my truck and drove it off site parked it and obviously I thought my truck got stolen so I'm all freaked out I'm calling Jimmy Wisey the uh, office you know the office officials I don't know if the listeners know that this team has like the guy that you call with any kind of trouble, good or bad. Um, so I'm calling Jimmy Wise, like he was one of the first guys that introduced himself near one of my first practices there. And uh, he had me going until like midnight that night. I got get, ended up getting a ride home. I ended up getting a ride home, and I'm all calling my buddy, who's my insurance agent, and all that stuff. And I finally, I don't know, all the fuck at night, they had to hurt the tunnel or whatever. But he was probably one of the best ones was For sure, always uh, you know, cutting the guys' ties, all the all the all the stuff that everyone's probably already heard, but he was always joking around and unbelievable teammate. If there was uh, if there was a guy that you wanted to go into battle with, he was definitely a guy. He was. Al, thank you so much. I, I really appreciate it. I, I asked you last week and you were right away, uh, no problem. And that's just the way you are as a person. Loved you as a player. And thanks for coming on. Uh, 799 games, 152 goals, one in the empty net. So I'm always going to bring that up when I see you because I know you think they are pussies when you score empty net goals 105 miles an hour. With a fucking wooden stick. Not bad. Al, thank you. The skullet is gone forever. Uh, we are going new wave. And uh, again, thank you. Look forward to seeing you on the road. And uh, thanks for the stories. Yeah, thank you, Barney. It was my pleasure. Good luck with the podcast. Hopefully I did a good job. Um, nothing but uh, nothing but good things for you in the future with your podcast. And um, looking forward to seeing you soon. Thanks, brother. Take care. We'll talk soon. Bye, buddy. Great. Bye. That was Al Iafredi. Again, one, I absolutely love Al. Uh, I only got to meet him when I was done playing and, and doing these events, but big guy. I mean, big, big guy that skates so well, still has a bomb, but uh, when you take hockey away, and I get to hear his stories uh, about being out there, but the thing, biggest thing that sticks out for me, knowing Al is just how genuine he is, how a love for life uh, he has, and the way that he treats people. So, yeah, four-time All-Star, uh, 799 games, and a lot of those games he he battled the injuries, like he said. So to have 152 goals and 311 assists, 463 points with all that he battled, all the adversity, I mean, he was a machine a machine when he was drafted fourth overall for the combination of, of size and um, skating ability. It, w- it was like someone that we hadn't seen. He was so different. Uh, and I just, I, I just love the guy as a person. Now he's actually into real estate and in Michigan, but I, I see him a lot of these events. He does so many and does such a great job at, uh, at raising money uh, for great causes. Of course we have little fun. I'm sure he had an amazing time in Newfoundland and anyone that hasn't been to Newfoundland get there got to get screeched in they are some fucked up people in Newfoundland especially in St. John's George Street so many bars that's all they do there trust me that's all they do there 
is drink next up and then uh we're gonna get ready to watch some 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 playoff hockey a little pga this week and i'm gonna introduce next week's guest already so we can get you ready because he's a good one i know you guys want him on but next up drambui island mama b is on her way well there she is my mother a few days late i didn't even call her on Mother's Day, I was traveling, and then my cell died. Uh, but Mama B, welcome back. How was your How was your Mother's Day? Oh, it was pretty good. Yeah, I I, I heard my brother was trying to be a big spender. Invite you over. What What did he invite you over for for dinner for Mother's Day? This is pretty funny. Kentucky. Kentucky what? Fried chicken. Kentucky fried chicken. Doesn't he know yeah. you're a foodie and you're like a food snob? I'm kind of, I guess, eh? You are. You you love, yeah, you love good food. There's no way my mother is going to... I hate Kentucky Pride. I used to like it in the 70s, but I hate it now. It's terrible. Last time I ate it was maybe eight years ago, and uh, I brought up. I was sick about it because it was full of grease and terrible. Yeah, it's it's, it's not great. I can eat it once a year. It's gross. I can eat it once a year, but then I get the shits for like three days. Well, I can't eat it at all. I don't want to eat it ever. Do you shit your pants too when you do it, or you just... I don't remember. You don't remember? <laughs> it's so long ago since I ate it. Didn't Didn't you tell them, like, it's Mother's Day? Like, don't you ask no, your I mother No, I just said where... I don't eat... I don't like uh, Kentucky, and I'm not eating Kentucky. No. Nope. Well, too bad. That's all the way. That, you know, a... it's no big deal. All right. We're going to Giovanni's tonight, though. Giovanni's. Yes, we're going to Giovanni's. I love Giovanni's. Ah, Giovanni's That's is food. Good. That's very good food, yeah. And yeah, th- that's food. And thankfully, the, the owner is now out of jail, so that's good. He's been out how many years, we think, now? Pardon me? How, how long has the, the owner been out of jail? I mean, it's a phenomenal Italian restaurant in Ottawa. Mm. He went to jail for, what, oh, seven years? Ma- uh, I'd say at least eight years. Yeah, he went for a while, so. Yes, he did. But he, is- did, he went for a good reason they put him away. What did they put him away for? Drugs. 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 Selling it, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, yeah. Yes, that was in the paper. I'm not saying nothing that wasn't publicized. Yeah. No, no, no. I, I Again, the food is phenomenal, whatever... He did or does is well. He's got good chefs. Oh, he's got great chefs. Actually, he's got I'm, really good chefs. Yeah. At least, you know. Yeah, well, we'll and it's a very busy spot. We will people ha- love it. Yeah, it's where all the sends go. And he's never went uh, down. You know, since he was away. You know, since he got in trouble with the law, he never got. You know, the business never uh, went down. No, it was great. It was really good. Hey, because it is Mother's Day and. Um, did you think about the best Mother's Day present of all time that I gave you and it didn't even cost me a penny? Well, actually it did. I had to pay for a lot of that box and probably the drambouille that you were drinking in there. Oh, my butt. Go away, go it's, away. It's funny. I was watching on Twitter. Someone it, tweeted uh, my, out a picture. Yeah, my, that was May. It was in May uh, 98. Correct. You know, Matthew was just a couple of weeks old. Yeah, he was eight days old. It was May 10th to the day, so... Yeah, I was watching, and you, you looked like you were having a good time. You were you were pretty excited. I was it was it more that I scored the hat trick, or you couldn't believe that I scored a, actually a hat trick? No, I could believe it. I was just really happy for you, happy for everybody. Yeah, it was fun. It, it was uh, it was good times. <clears throat> I, I said we're not- I even was interviewed. I I think it was Scott. What's Scott's last Scott name? Scott Oak. Yeah, yeah, Scott. I, Oak. No, it wasn't Scott Oak. It wasn't. No, it wasn't. Sure? It was another guy. But I know Bob Cole had the call, which I was just with Bob Cole 
all week. They honored him, and he was the keynote speaker in Calgary. He has, it's one of the, well, for me, obviously, it's a great call, but um, his voice, how he describes it is, is pretty remarkable. What's his name again? Bob Cole, the Hockey Night in Canada. Okay, I don't know him. Bob just retired. He's, the, he's who's, who you've listened to all these years on Hockey Night in Canada. He's okay. 85 years old, yep. So, wow, and you've seen him in Calgary. Yeah, he was with uh, Harry Neal. With Harry, he wasn't. With oh, Harry I know Neal, him, but that's who he used to do with was Harry Neal. Okay. Yeah. Okay. What do you think of the playoffs? Are you still watching the playoffs, or I watched last night. <clears throat> I'm very disappointed with the 67s. Oh, the Ottawa 67s for those people because they had there. a great year. Well, I got to explain. Not everyone's from Ottawa, mother. So Ottawa 67s is our junior team, a great team, and they had a goaltender and. A lot of good guys that are drafted. Uh, Shemovelsky, um is on that team. They had uh, Feliber that just signed with Dallas. Their goaltender he's gone. Was... He's gone to uh, to Dallas now. Yep. And then um, Michael DiPietro, who was acquired, who they they gave up a lot of picks. A lot of picks got hurt. But he got hurt. He got hurt, and then they ended up losing to Guelph. So now they're... and and that goalie that was in in goal, he um, he was their number one before uh, DiPietro came. Yeah. But they traded yeah. for Di Pietro because Di Pietro was the best in the league and right. Team Canada's world junior goalie. So a a bad ending, but a great year for Ottawa. I know it was right. a fun and exciting time for them. So um, that's it. That's it. I, I just wanted to bring you on and talk about Mother's Day a little bit and, and see how you're doing and, and uh, look and forward to And I watched last night, too. Oh, yeah. What did you think I, of I it? watched the San Jose get beat. Yeah, they I, want, I want uh, the Blues to win. A lot of Canadians on that team. You want the booze to win or the blues? The blues. Oh, the blues. The blues. Okay. There's a lot of, a lot of Canadians on that on that team. There are. There are. I'm sure there's a lot of Canadians on San Jose too. I don't think as many. You got uh, Logan Couture, who yeah, scored I know. two last night. Played for Ottawa Six Sevens, by the way. He was a captain. I remember him. Joe Thornton, Brent Burns. Pardon? Joe Thornton, Brent Burns, Vlasic. Uh, there's a lot. There's a lot, but yeah, there's a lot of lot of Canadians on almost every team. By, by the way, we can see your bias, which is really good. I love it. Um, right. No, I'm hoping for. Uh, I'm hoping for uh, the uh, St. Louis. You're right, St. Louis. And and it's I'm Louis hoping, but Louis. I think they're going Carolina. Carolina's not going to win. No, I like them. Yeah. I really. They did well up to this point. You don't like Boston? Why don't you like Boston? I'm not crazy about Boston. Why? Don Cherry likes do you Boston. Like, do you like Brad Marchand? I don't mind him. A lot of people don't like him, but I don't mind him. He's good. Is He's he, pretty hot. Is it because you mean hot in a hot way or hot? No, as hot as a player. He's, yeah. he's pretty good. Yeah, he can be dirty too. He looks like a little midget. There's a there's actually a parody. There's a guy on um, a little angry elf essentially, uh, but they show him all the time out there that. Starts fights everywhere. He's a great player. I think he reminds you of me a bit, except for he's Maybe a little bit better arrogant. player. He, he's an irritator. Oh, did you say arrogant or irritator? Irritating. Okay, okay, good. He might be a little arrogant, too. Oh, then that's totally opposite of me, right? Of course, of, of course. course, of course. Are you kidding me? Right. Are you kidding me? I know. Are you kidding me? Well, happy belated. Now, tell me, yep. I think, am I right that I think he comes from around Gatineau? Marchand, I'm not sure. So, Me neither. I thought he might, though. That's a great question. I've never heard that. If you can find out, let me know. I, I will find that out by tonight. There's a thing called 
Google that'll actually tell us where everyone's from. Oh, I can do Google. You can do Google, right? Yeah, I can do Google. I'll Google to see if he's from Gatineau area. Okay, I think... Something tells me he may be. I think he's from Halifax. That's what it looks like oh, on, maybe, on maybe. this Google thing. But you might be right. I'll do some more research on it. I will see you at 6.30 for dinner. We will not be eating Kentucky Fried Chicken, and we will not be having the shit. So uh, I love you, and uh, I'll see you in a little bit, Mom. I love you, too, and I'll, I'll be ready. I guess your best to call me. Uh, when you're leaving home, Sounds so then good. I know when to go downstairs. Sounds good. Talk to you later. Bye-bye. All righty. Bye-bye. Have a good day. That's Mama B. Drambuie Island was very quiet this week. I, 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 I did give her a Mother's Day, or at least a belated Mother's Day, off. Uh, we're just going to have a nice dinner tonight. Yeah, my brother trying to take her for Kentucky Fried Chicken when she hates Kentucky Fried Chicken. Not going to work uh, when we talk next week. Uh, playoffs will almost be done in the third round, and we will might know one team that is going on. I think we'll know by Boston. Longest I see that series going is five after watching two games, and I think the St. Louis-San Jose one will be going seven. PGA Championship, we will have a winner. Uh, promises to be a great week. I can't wait to watch my fucking guy, Tiger. I don't care how many girls he banged along the way. Uh, I don't care what he did. Uh, to me, greatest athlete of all time and just makes the sport that much better when he is in contention. Uh, I'll also be in Pittsburgh. I'll be doing my podcast from Pittsburgh with a bunch of other alumni, probably have them on as well. But my guest next week will be... The much anticipated, one of the funniest guys I've ever met with some of the greatest stories. He fucking hates Mike Babcock. And when you hate Mike Babcock, not that I do, but I, I love the way that that Mike Commodore um, is very open about it. So he is essentially very much like I and uh, will tell us lots of great stories. Look forward to that. Thank you once again to Ally Afraidy. Phenomenal guy, phenomenal player. And no more Skullet. That was the ugliest fucking thing I had ever seen on anyone's head. Thank God it's gone. Now he's bald and looks great. Always leave you with a quote. And I want you to enjoy the week for Ally Afraidy and for Tiger Woods. Let the big dog eat. Both have and one will. Have a great week. This is Matthew Barnaby Unfiltered. Hope you loved it. Talk to you next week.